This is the Fleet Street Fox column for Monday, May the 16th, 2022. The Tory plan to fix the cost of living will cut the number of people alive. If you watch a Marvel movie, you will be told that a Viking god, a 21st century arms dealer and a woman who can imagine entire worlds into being can coexist at the same point in space and time. That's because there's a Marvel multiverse where many parallel universes aren't parallel at all and more like a bag of string tying each other in illogical knots. And that is perhaps the best explanation for why, when viewers watch Tory Minister Rachel McLean speak, they marvel at how one person can embody the self-confidence of Thor, the empathy of Tony Stark and the psychic blind spot of Wanda Maximoff, all in the space of just 100 seconds. Rachel is the literally unwitting star of social media after saying entirely the wrong thing to Sky News presenter Kay Burley and a lady called Mickey who lives in Wigan and is so broke that when her prepay electricity meter runs out, she has to light candles. Rachel, the MP for Reddit, she earns a total of £107,108 as Minister for Safeguarding at the Home Office, reeled off a long list of things she said the government had done to make it easier thereby implying that Mickey was willfully wasting candles because she hadn't applied for the right grants. Rachel encouraged her to use the Household Support Fund, distributed to local councils to help the vulnerable through COVID and extended to deal with the next crisis. The trouble is that each council does something different, some providing supermarket vouchers, others require referrals from a GP, some aren't even publicising it. Mickey looked understandably disgusted to be told that the cost of living, frankly, was her own fault. But then it got worse. Over the long term, we need to have a plan to grow the economy and make sure that people are able to protect themselves better, said Rachel. Translation, you need to sort your own cost of living out. Whether that's taking on more hours or moving to a better paid job. Translation. You're not working hard enough, says woman who earns five times the average wage to be in Parliament six months of the year. These are long-term actions, but that's what we're focused on as a government. Translation. We're not focused on what's happening to millions of Mickeys at this very moment. And then it got more worse. Questioned by Kay about families already working three jobs and struggling, for whom more hours was either not an option or not going to help, Rachel went on, No, and of course it's not, and uh, I'm not suggesting that for one moment. Translation, please disregard everything I just said. But we've often heard in the past when people are facing problems with their budgets that one of the obstacles, and it may not be for everybody, one of the obstacles is about being able to take on more hours or even move to a better paid job. Translation, I heard it somewhere, probably from an MP with three jobs who still thinks they don't have enough money. And of course, um, it's an individual situation, depending on that particular family's situation. But that's why the job centres exist. That's why the work coaches exist. That's why we've put the support into those job centres to work with individuals on their own individual situation. Narrator. Job centres exist because they replaced labour exchanges, introduced in 1910, which replaced workhouses, introduced in 1388 to address labour shortages after the Black Death and stop poor people moving about to look for work, making them the responsibility of their parish and a source of future complaint for generations of Tory MPs. And if relying on a social policy rooted in 14th century feudalism wasn't bad enough, Rachel didn't stop speaking, and so things got significantly... Where are we? Worserer. 
So it may be right for some people. They may be able to access additional hours, but of course it, it, it's not going to work for people who are already uh, working in three jobs. Well, no. And that's why we need to have the other measures in place, such as the, um, all the help that we're putting into the schools. Schools? How do schools fix stagflation? Is this like when civil servants should all be fired to lower the global price of oil? Uh, the, 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 the help with the, the, the um, uh, local authorities' help and support I've already mentioned. Are you all right, Rachel? And these are where we're going to target the help where it's most needed, ended Rachel in a rush, probably relieved to have found a way to stop speaking, but too late to stop Downing Street cry-screaming down the phone as soon as she came off air. To Rachel and many of her colleagues, people choose to be poor. They choose not to go to work, to rely on the state, to live with a handout. And to the rest of us, poverty depends on circumstances. You could be diagnosed with cancer, be made redundant, have a marriage breakup, and all through no fault of your own. You could be born less able or to poorer parents, and you can be a victim of car accidents, illness or bad luck. Working more shifts isn't possible for someone who needs to care for their mum four hours a day. Moving to a better paid job doesn't eradicate the low paid ones. And seeing as the majority of vacancies at present are in construction, farming and hospitality, not every mum can start bricklaying at 7am. Not every heart attack patient can do manual labour all day and not every redundant dad can pop on a pinny and wait tables until midnight. What those people need is not a national insurance increase, which makes a low paid job even lower paid, or a tax cut, which doesn't apply to those earning less than £12,570 in the first place. Nor do they need a £200 loan from an energy company who'll expect it to be paid back just so their multi-billion pound profits aren't inconvenienced. The Tory plan to focus on the long term at the expense of people who are hungry right now to distribute support in a thousand obscure ways, to tell people to find more work and more time in an economy dominated by low pay and on a planet where hours in a day are traditionally limited to 24, does nothing to reduce the chances of people starving, dying and freezing to death this winter. Which is why it is starting to look like their big idea to ease the cost of living crisis is for people who can't afford it to cease living. But being alive is a luxury many are not prepared to do without. And anyone in a workhouse could tell you that without the peasants, the lords had nothing. And without their customers, our energy companies, food producers and Tory donors have much the same problem. It will take a cold, deadly winter for everyone to realise the balance of power has shifted. But until they do, we do not need a Netflix subscription, insurance policy or well-paid job to marvel at the feats of Rachel McLean and her ilk, for whom three jobs aren't enough and it is always possible to find new ways to be worst. Only one Fleet Street Fox column this week. So as an extra, here is an exclusive news story uh, published on May the 17th, 2022, about Britain's nuclear test veterans. An exclusive. Nuke veterans exposed to radiation so important records could be kept, documents say. Government medical experts agreed to expose sailors to cancer-causing levels of radiation because otherwise important records and observations should be lost. 
Shocking new documents have been unearthed, proving top brass intended to expose servicemen to more than a decade's worth of normal background radiation in just a day. The revelation comes after Prime Minister Boris Johnson promised to take personal charge of resolving decades of injustice for veterans of Britain's nuclear weapons tests. Archie Hart, 84, who was one of the crew exposed and now has 100 benign tumours all over his body, said, This proves what I've always suspected. We were guinea pigs, sent into danger by men who were sat safe behind a desk in Whitehall. The revelations are within 300 pages of 1956 memos about Operation Mosaic, in which destroyer HMS Diana was ordered to sail through the nuclear fallout of two atomic bombs for a total of 16 hours. They state that this was the first operation by one of HM ships to gain first-hand experience about fallout and contamination, and what hazards, if any, to engineering personnel are to be expected as a result of passage through fallout from atomic weapons. One memo shows top brass concerned about monitoring the fallout without undue hazard to personnel. It talks about measuring radiation absorbed by humans and adds, Diana will not be able to determine such values. The papers show the Director of Physical Research suggesting low radiation limits for Diana's crew, equivalent to 13 years' worth of background radiation. Higher doses equal to 87 years and a special dose the same as 219 years' worth. The documents show Medical Director General of the Armed Forces, John Morley Holford, agrees to the doses, saying he appreciates that in these infrequent and very expensive operations, it is reasonable that some slight risks should be incurred by personnel rather than that important records and observations should be lost. Holford, who went on to become personal physician to the Queen, goes on to add that older men should be chosen rather than younger ones for the highest doses, if it is practicable. He does not explain why, but radiation was known at the time to have genetic effects. Today, children of test veterans show 10 times the normal rate of birth defects. In 2006, scientists reported that the sort of doses described in the papers as low could cause cancers. Earlier this year, a government study revealed that 58% of HMS Diana's 282 crew had died, two-thirds of them from cancer. Her captain, John Gower, later said parts of his ship were left unacceptably hot with radiation and complained about a lack of medical follow-up for his crew. After retirement, he said it was an appalling waste of a unique opportunity because there was no attempt to find out the physical and mental impact on the crew. He said, why not get value for money by testing everything, men as well as weapons? They did it in the USA. The answer given by the Prime Minister in 1983 was that no one was exposed to any significant health hazard. But without testing, how is it possible to be sure? The papers also show senior officers deciding to sail Diana with vents open, quotes, so that we could find out precisely what contamination was drawn in, but we could not tell how serious a problem this might produce, end quotes. After the blasts, which took place off the Montebello Islands on the northwest coast of Australia, the levels of loose contamination were well above the health tolerance throughout both machinery spaces in use. They add, there might be some danger from the ingested hazard at some later stage. Fallout was subsequently found in the ship's vents, on boots, ladders and decks. The papers also report that a meter used to detect radiation on servicemen appears much too insensitive 
and could detect contamination only if it was several hundred times worse than the limit set for the crew. After the blasts, one report states, The principal conclusions are that the resulting contamination is mainly loose, that it is easily transferred to the lungs and stomach and must therefore be considered a hazard, even though the external dace rate is very low. No test equipment is in service and little doctrine exists on this hazard. Archie of Warrington was just 18 and on national service when he served as a stoker on Diana. Afterwards, he went to work on the railways and had five children. His eldest daughter was unable to have more than one child. His wife suffered a miscarriage. And aged just 65, Archie had 18 inches of bowel removed after contracting cancer. Archie said, Even the officers on board did not know much more than us. We all went cheerfully into this travesty, and afterwards the captain told us we were used as guinea pigs. The fallout was toxic and deadly. The Ministry of Defence says it is still considering the findings of its latest study. Last week, the Prime Minister pledged to deliver test veterans the recognition they deserve. An MOD spokesman said, We are grateful to all service personnel who participated in the British nuclear testing programme. The protection, health and welfare of those involved was a vital consideration, as documented by the detailed safety measures and radiobiological monitoring that took place during the operations.